Studios joined as usual in the studio with uh, John Hula. How you doing? Doing great, thank you. Yeah, yeah. 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 Got so. uh, got Joe Hazen rocking the panels here. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. Great to see you. Happy holidays, everybody. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, let's see over there on uh, Vancouver Island, we got uh, Quinn. How you doing, Quinn? Hey, I'm doing good. Yeah, and he's got some food news for later. He's got some food news, and uh, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And we have uh, Nastasia Lopez and. Jack Molecules Inslee in California, in L.A., right? Yeah, hi. Hey. hey. How's it going over there? Good. Great. Yeah? Yeah. All right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nastasia, so first of all, uh, call in your questions, too, if you're listening, you know, on the Patreon. And if you're not listening on the Patreon, well, then poop-poopy-doop, yeah. right? Yep. Right? Call in your questions, too, 917-410-1507. 917-410-1507. And if they want to join the Patreon, tell them why they want to do that, John, and how they do it. Awesome uh, community. Well, that guy got real close to the window. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, he didn't want, he, so for those of you who know, we're in, we're in an old newsstand. It's called Newsstand Studios because they used to sell, like, candies and magazines and sodas out, out of here. And it's still got, like, the racks where all the old newspapers and magazines were. And it's a glass wall. So usually people come in, they look, they wave, like, kids and whatever. But this guy... Shows up, he's on the phone, he turns around, and he makes that, yep. what face is this, like, this one that, that, like, squinting, like, eh, yeah. like, and then puts his hand against the side of his face and leans up against the window like he's gonna light a cigarette or something. Yeah, it was very distracting. Anyway. Like, right next to us. All right, right. Um... Yeah, join Patreon. We got an awesome community of members where you can talk to each other in the Discord, share cool restaurant things. I am speaking with someone now who just... Met up with some, one of the listeners from Texas, and the listener from Texas brought up some coffee beans up to Chicago, and it sounds really cool. But also uh, discounts to Kitchen Arts and Letters, access to our Discord, um, early you know uh, listening abilities for this, and prioritized uh, questions that Dave will always get to on every show. So, well, try to yes, yes. Wait, wait, yes. If we have a guest. Sometimes they're not yes, for okay, the guest. Fair, and, fair, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, like, uh, for instance, yesterday I put up a big 3D file for people to print in case they want it. But there's weird, random things that go up. When people That's ask true. me, I'm like, I have no venue to share a 3D file with the world, but I can share it on the Patreon. Right, Quinn? Yeah. Thank yeah, you. and also occasionally promo codes to certain products. Yeah. Guess ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, like, don't we have a deal with uh, Edwards Age Meats? Or we don't? We should. Can we? We did last year. I'm sure Edward might be game, but I don't know. We'll have to, to talk to him and see what uh, what he wants to do. He does have great products. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. All right, so, so Nastasia, don't go too far away, but you're going to need to earmuff for a second because Quinn made a product that you believe should be left to the professionals. Okay? Are you ready? Okay. Okay. All right, all right. Mm -hmm. So, Quinn, what did you, what did you, okay. what did you make it, uh, over the past couple of days? <clears throat> uh, I've been making... Uh... Panettone. So we made a double batch. Um, the first one was baked off Sunday, and then we baked the other one. <laughs> Joe's going aggressive the on the jingle yesterday. bell. I like it. That's an aggressive jingle bell. Uh, yeah. All right. All right. Wait. So you baked the other one last night? Um, yeah. So that one is still unopened. But the first one turned out pretty good. Yeah. I'm happy with it. Yeah? Yeah? And uh, you did the whole hang upside down. Was it a sourdough or a yeast? Or a combo? What, 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 what were you doing? A little combo. A little combo. Yeah, because it's so funny. Like, I guess it is the season, right? Julia Moskin, for those of you that 
I don't know, want to do nothing else between now, if you celebrate Christmas, and you want to do nothing else between now and Christmas, you can start Julia Moskin's Panatone recipe that just came out yesterday. But, uh, yeah, so uh, what were you, any tips for people that things that you think went wrong, things that are hard? You know, we never had on. Remember when, um, uh, remember when Matt Sartwell said that everyone, if you're going to get a Panatone book, there was that crazy hardcore professional Panatone book? Remember that? Oh, right. Um, I never got it. And we never got Roy on. You, you're a Roy Panatone fan, right? Yeah. And, yeah. His, I had it for the first time the other day. It was very delicious. Can though, I kind of say something, though? Oh, no. You, you, you found something. Oh, no, I was just, oh, no, no, I haven't found something. I was just going to say, I can't, I'll have to look up the listener who sent it to us last year, but he made the best Panatone yeah. I ever had. And from Toronto, I think. We'll have, I don't know. I'll have to look him up. His stuff was delicious and give him a, a better shout out. All right. So, you know, it used to be, you, you know, when I was a kid, it was, like, fairly rare to find them, right? Now, literally, Goya makes panettones, and you can get them in my, like, corner, which is fundamentally, a, like, it's, it's, it used to be, like, a Key Foods, and now it's, like, one level up. It's, like, it's, like, halfway from a Key Foods to a food emporium now, for those of you that remember that. Anyway, so, like, uh, oh, the, the book I'm being told is called Sourdough, Sourdough Panettone and Viennoiserie. Viennoiserie. Listen, for those of you that have never been to Vienna, I would love to go back because I swear if someone says like Vienna and pastry together, I'm like, that's probably pretty good then. Because Vienna pastry, other level. Oh yeah, I was like you're like, oh my country's got good pastry. Nope. <laughs> and you go to Vienna and you're like, oh, 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 pastry. Yeah, pastry. Yeah, yeah. So like you know, there was an Austrian dude moved into my mom's neighborhood up in Westchester. It was when I was too young to know any better. And actually, that's not true. I was in my twenties, and. I was like, how good could it be, Austria? Come on. I go in there. I was like, oh, yeah. Nah, yeah. And he was the guy that couldn't even hack it in Austria. He had to move to America. I'm just kidding. I'm not like that. I'm not that much. I feel that about uh, the horse riders they have in Austria. Oh, yeah? Slamming. It comes in like toothpaste tubes. Oh. Delish. Uh, on my corner, on my, in my block, they every year in the season, uh, you know, the Passover time, they're out on the corner grinding horseradish with a gas mask on and then putting it directly in mason jars and selling it right there. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. I mean, some things in my neighborhood are still cool, and some things like, I ha- you know what I ha- you, we used to have during uh, Sukkot every year is we'd have the outdoor, like, you know how, like, people on the street sell things, like weird things? We used to have the outdoor citron market. Uh, the egg rug. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, you know, you'd have the super fancy ones where they, had, they were all completely intact and a little nubbin on the end and everything. They're, yeah, they're really kind of ugly fruit. Yeah. Yeah, but then after, you know, look, if you're, if you're a double celebrator, right, after Succoat's over, candy that mother and then use it in your panettone. Or you make some <laughs> type of uh, like a, le, a lemon, um, what's a lemon liqueur? The, oh, the uh, limoncello. Lemon, yeah, lemon yeah again, triggering Nastasia again. It was supposed to be a good time with her father and it ended up being sickly sweet. Am I right, Nastasia? Yeah, that is true. Yeah. That's true. Did, did, did you still, like, looking back, still have a good time with your father making it, though? Yes. That's yeah, all that matters, though. That's all that matters. You know what I mean? That's all that matters. That's all that matters. Uh, all right, so, Quinn, any tips on it, uh, other than, obviously, get long skewers and hang it upside down after it comes out, anything like that, anything you would do differently? Anything, anything, anything? anything? Um, actually, I am, of course, working on a, an original technique we're getting the fat into the panettone. What was the problem with the old um, technique? I mean, it just seemed unnecessary mm. and sort of takes time. You know, getting the little bits of butter 
and like so brio- like brioche style, right? They the don't they, they put it in brioche style, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've done so side by sides on brioche, back, but yeah. go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I hold back a little bit of the flour, and then once the gluten is developed, take the eggs, the butter, and make a liquid emulsion, and then just like slop that in, add the rest of the flour. And it just sort of goes, shloop. Shloop. And it's a multiplied. Shloop. What's that song? What's that song? Shoop. What's that song, Joe? Uh, Sloop John B? No, no, no. The one goes, shoop. Anyway, we'll figure it out. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, so I've never done that, but I have experimented quite a bit. Usually, I've done a lot with, the with like, the no-needs and the melted butter brioches, and they're fine, but I just don't have a problem with uh, beating, beating the butter in. I don't know why. You know, my issue is, is that, like, uh, melted butter, the dough is real slack until you chill it. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. I don't know. I love the mm-hmm. look. Right, here's what it is. I love the look of dough that you've beaten soft butter into. I just like yeah. the way it looks. And when it's melted, it, it, it comes out fine. It comes out great. But it always has that little grease sheen. It doesn't have that, like, silk look. When it, and the people who eat it, they don't care. They don't care. Right? Because they're not freaking eating it. We're getting fishbowled again. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Uh, yeah. Different kind of folk, though. Different yes. kind of folk. Yes. All right. Uh, what about you guys? You guys doing anything uh, interesting? Uh, you got got anything going on, John? Anything for the holidays? Since this is no tangent, this is not a tangent, by the way. This is cooking. We're talking yeah, holiday true. cooking. I did cookies this weekend. This is. Uh, <laughs> do you guys? Do anyone else here do Christmas cookies? Used to sugar cookies. Sugar, huh? Yeah. You don't but, seem too excited about the sugar cookie. I don't mean they're good, but just cut having... cookies or spritz. Cut. Cut. Okay. Yeah. But I don't know. I haven't done those in a long time. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out what to do for Christmas dinner. Yeah. So. Yeah. I. Uh, I made, I, so like f- years ago, we used to do spritz all the time, it, like cut cookies and same batter for spritz cookies using the 1993 Cooks Illustrated where you put cornstarch in to the, uh, to the flour, <clears throat> a little bit of lemon zest and all that, and you let it chill and you roll it out, right? So it makes either good sugar cookies or it makes decent spritz cookies. Yeah. But um, I don't know. We, 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 got, we, we stopped using the, the cookie gun for a while for whatever reason. We, you know, the aluminum, the, the fat aluminum one with the twist doodle. Yeah. And then I was in a thrift store, uh, like at the beginning of the year, and they had like the Italian Marcato Atlas cookie press with, that works more like a caulk gun that you push down. And it's got 20 dies and a picture of what each die actually does with cookies and a really hardcore, like the Italian recipe, which is... It's, it's, it's crazy. It's huge amounts of butter, huge am- It's like flour, and I used integrale. They're like, you can make it integrale. I'm like, I will then. And so, like, <laughs> I use the flour, uh, like, loads of butter, and then just four egg yolks, right? And I added zest. So the liquid is four egg yolks and then just enough milk to get it to go into the press. And you could pick this dough up and roll it, like, kind of Play-Doh. Hmm. And that gun is awesome. And then I use them to make lemon sandwich cookies, so I made like a lemon cream, nice. and my lemon cream was instead of using all shortening, which is kind of gross, right? Yeah. Instead of using all butter, which is kind of like wet, right? Because it's going to get all greasy unless you keep it real cool. I did fifty-fifty butter coconut. Mm. I used coconut oil, you know, coconut fat, yeah, and butter, and I whipped those together with uh, the lemon zest, lemon uh, lemon essence, and uh, yeah, and vanilla. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it's good. Good. Yeah. I, oh, I added citric acid because you know me. 
obviously. Duh, yeah. duh. Although a lot of people might not like the citric acid because it's like kerpow. It doesn't really melt mm. in the fat stuff. Oh. So yeah. it's more like, um, it's more like, uh, you know, like, remember those? I used to love these kind of, they're, gar- they're not good cookies, but I love them. They're called lemon coolers. And it's, yeah, lemon coolers, right? They're like, they look like a Nilla wafer, but they're, and they're, but they're covered in powdered sugar. And there's these weird little crevices of yellow crystals that are like real lemony and they pop. Yeah. Those suckers, those were, those were big money, cash money when I was a kid. Like that was like, that was. I remember stuff. those. Yeah. I love those too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Messy, messy powdered sugar everywhere. Yeah, powdered sugar. Yeah, that's what I, I hate powdered sugar. Really? Am I the only one? I can't stand powdered Like I can't stand like a Zeppeli with full of powdered sugar. I can't right, stand let it. Let me ask you this, Joe. Let me ask you this. You get the cough and I hate the That's cough. That's what I thought. I knew it. I knew it. You were eating it one day. The some, Karamasu cough? That's the worst. You were trying to like have a conversation with someone. You breathed in while the pastry was near your face. And, and you're, you're like, suffocating. <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then like, you know, it's, the other thing I used to hate is uh, I remember the first time I went to New Orleans, you have to go. The first time you go to New Orleans, you have to go to Cafe Du Monde. And they put an absurd, Crazy. an absurd amount of powdered sugar on their beignets, right? I guess, like, the first pound of powdered sugar that goes on each one absorbs the extra oil, and then the rest of it, <laughs> the rest of it is just, like, a cakey layer on top. So, like, when I was a kid, I used to wear blue dress pants everywhere. So I still remember, like, these blue dress pants just, like, boof. Because also, like, you know, I was a me- am still messy human. True. Boof. Powdered sugar everywhere. I was like, this is a nightmare. But I do like the effect of powdered sugar. I like a powdered sugar donut. But I, I, but I like to eat it over the sink. I don't like to sit at a table and eat a powdered sugar product. Anyway. You know what's not edible? Chicago hot dogs. What? They're, they're, they're too messy. Same thing. They drip everywhere. Yeah, but, but I don't know. That sounds like a you problem. Also like Toronto hot dogs. They drip everywhere. What's a Toronto hot dog? They drip everywhere. Anywhere you go and a street hot dog has... Is it because too much relish? Too much everything. Anytime you put... A, like, this is like in New York City... We're like, you put mustard, you put sauerkraut, you hold it in your hands, it's not that big, you shove it into your face at a trot, and it doesn't fall on you. So did you not like Super Duper Weenie? I did like Super Duper okay. Weenie, but I... They're topping heavy. I know, but, and you sit and eat it. Yes, it's, that's true. It's yeah. not a running dog. New, okay. York, New York hot dogs, for as little as I enjoy caseless hot dogs, right? The one thing we've got going, other than the fact that if you go to like a Mike's or it used to be Gray, Gray's and Mike's, you used to be able to get two hot dogs for a dollar. Yeah. The fact that they can put out infinity hot dogs in zero seconds and that they're that cheap. But also New York's a running hot dog. Yeah, that's true. You know, I used to buy a hot dog on a hundred and where was that place? It was a hundred and like ninth or 10th street. And I will go in, I'll be like, how much do I have in my pocket? Two fifty five dogs. You hand them the two fifty. They hand you, or whatever it is, yeah, five dogs. They hand you five dogs. Those five dogs I would eat in the five minutes it took to walk the five blocks back to my studio. And that's how New York lunch works. Yeah, just like when you eat lamb over rice. You son of a, (laughs) you son, Stas, not cool, right? We could, no, Nastasi and I got running dinners. Nastasi and I got running yeah. dinners. We all made it to the same place at the same time. Oh, 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 people. John is making exactly making our point for us. We order like, you know, you know, heroes, right? Like something like like some sort of lamb or chicken stuff bread. in a bread that's wrapped. They that's wrapped in aluminum foil. So you can just peel the aluminum foil back like a freaking banana, shove the sandwich in your face while you're running to Billy Joel. Nastasi, am I wrong about this? No, you're right. You're right. You're yeah. right. What and did, then John got yeah. a bowl with a fork. 
<laughs> not just over rice. Not just, yeah, with rice. Tiny grains. Yeah, I eat that like almost every night after work. <laughs> not even. Walking a- back from Herald <clears throat> Square to, to my apartment. Listen, everybody knows that if you need to hoover rice, <laughs> if you need to hoover it, get a spoon at least. At least a spoon. <laughs> God, he's like eating it with a pitchfork. You know how crappy those like well, plastic. plastic oh, my chopsticks. Oh my God, Joe! Don't get me started. If he if he had gotten a pair of chopsticks, first of all, the halal cart guy would have been like, "What are you? What are you? You know what I mean?" <laughs> and then, secondly, if he had had chopsticks, I think Nastasia would have punched him. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure that's what would have happened. All right. Uh, you guys got any? Uh, oh, one more one more cookie thing on my side. Uh, I made so I always make the, the Ricciarelli, which are the almond cookies. They're like. Um, like uh, you just—it's almond. Uh, you can—I usually grind the almonds, but you can use almond flour. And if you grind the almonds, you grind it with with regular sugar, so it doesn't turn into a paste, right? But if you use almond flour, you just use powdered sugar. And there's no flour in it, so it's gluten free. And then whipped egg whites and like vanilla and zest. You know what I mean? Like orange zest yeah. and, and and almond extract. If you if you really want to do it, you can get the apricot per- kernels and add your own stuff. But just get the extract, anyways. So like you you make the you, you make the batter. And then you let it rest for a long time. And then you make the cookie shape and you put the cookie shape in powdered sugar. And then you make them into like, you know, little like kind of lozenge shapes. And you put them on the tray and you let it rest for like an hour after that so that it dries out. And when you cook it, it puffs a little bit and you get cracks in it, right? Mm -hmm. So I decided to do it with pecans this year. But again, like I'm the only person, I'm going to eat them all because they're so delicious. I skipped the zest and I used brown sugar instead of regular sugar. And I ground the pecans in the thing. But other, and I didn't whip the egg whites, which is what I normally do. And they still were great. I think what happened is, is that the old one where you whip the egg whites is to get a little air in it so that there's bubbles in it while it's resting. But the food processor whips enough air into it as it's grinding that I think it's fine. Mm. I, I need to do now next next year. I'll do two batches of almond as well as pecan, one with the food processor and one without. Yeah. But anyway, it's on Instagram. You can go check it out. But uh, Ricciarelli are good. They're good. They're a good product. And the pecan ones are, you know, not Ricciarelli because they're pecans. Yeah. But they're yeah. still delicious. <laughs> All right. Stas, what are you doing? You doing? You doing anything for Christmas, Stas? Anything? No. For, no. Nothing. What about you, Jack? No. I like how you speak for Jack. This year, going to my brother, my brothers. Where's your brother? Live? <laughs> no, um, yeah, I'm going to my brothers in Connecticut. Um, but in terms of cookies, my grandma used to make those. Um, I don't know if you ever had them. These Sicilian like pinolata. Oh yeah, balls. I love those. I so, love like, those things. Do you? Yeah, yeah. That, that was my grandma's thing. So my mom does still do those. With the, did she make it the way that uh, the way that that so someone who for the past you know I don't know 15 years or so we always make Christmas cookies with the same family. And for them, they make the impignolate with, they use a, it's a wine-based, it's a wine-based pasta dough that they roll out and then with the nuts and the, and the, and the raisins and all that, and they roll them into the shape and they cook them and then, then they drizzle them. Is it the same in your family? No, I think it was just like regular fried dough. Um, oh, not, not impignolate. Wait, so this is more like a, one of the, like a fried thing, more like a struvoli? Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, um, yeah, but wait. So where's like that one from? Fried dough balls, and they're Sicilian. Oh yeah, these guys are Calabrian. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it must be a different product. Anyway, I like it. I like it. Yeah, no, I think I think in Sicilian they call them pinolata, but it's like strufoli would be what it would normally be called. Okay, let me ask you this: 
Have you ever had, when you go out and you get like a Struffoli and it's like a hard brick and it has those weird little sprinkles on top, aren't you always kind of like, what the hell? You know what I mean? You're like, so for those of you who don't know, imagine. Yeah, I mean, she made them with sprinkles too. Really? The rainbow sprinkles, right? Yeah. 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 It looks like a miniaturized, goopy croquembouche with sprinkles on top. To me. That's the way I always do Because the balls mm-hmm. are little. They're little balls. Right? Yep. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I never wrapped my head around it, but this is something that you look forward to? I actually don't even like it. <laughs> but it's a, you know, it's a nice nostalgic thing. Uh, I see. Yeah. It's, you know. I think that's the kind of thing. It reminds me of grandma, but I never liked them. So. Okay. 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 So I want anyone who's listening to this, who likes that, to tell us why they like it. Why does it still exist as a product other than for nostalgia? Speaking of nostalgia, you know what I mean? Hey, Stas, didn't you, when you were a kid, say that you also used to do the popcorn and cranberry strings? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we used to do that. I haven't done it with my kids, though. They don't even know what it is anymore. I think it's gone. I think it's gone. Is that like the decoration type of thing? You do the popcorn and the... Yeah. Like, uh, on string? Interesting. Yeah. We never, never did that. And then we you, were Jewish. You, but, t- you tie it to the mantle. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. But you know what I did do that I did in the 70s? It's holiday time. I did the orange with the clove, and then you dust mm. it with cinnamon. That's nice. I think, I believe it called Pomanders. And Jen made one that was all fancy, that looked all fancy. Looked like, uh, what's that character from uh, Hellraiser? Pinhead? Hers kind of looked like Pinhead. And then when they dry out, the cloves kind of stick out of the orange more. So it looks like you magically stuck all the cloves exactly in at half height, but really just the orange shrank around yeah. it pretty slick but the clothes stop the orange from rotting as well as the cinnamon dust that you put on it so they don't rot they just dry out as long as you hang them anyway all right enough enough of our holiday garbage let's deal with uh, some folks holiday garbage it's not garbage people listen i call everything garbage people shouldn't get offended am i right john yeah no shouldn't get offended yeah yeah yeah, yeah. all right to each their own to each their own garbage right uh jay peltier writes in hey i'm gonna be cooking a beef wellington for eight for christmas dinner this year i've made it once before i don't remember the recipe and ended up with middling results after looking around online i'm planning on largely using kenji's recipe but want to see if there are any additional recommendations as to technique recipe or strategy to make sure i do not let down the extended family on christmas thanks in advance listen Jay, you're going to let down your family no matter what. That's my, been my experience, is that no matter what I do, I've done something to let my family down, right? Yeah. You can't escape it. That's yeah. like part of Christmas. First thing you should do is watch somebody whose family has messed up Christmas even more, like watch uh, Christmas Vacation. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. And then that's a person who's messed up Christmas even more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you're like, it's fine. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but I looked at Kenji's recipe. Uh, I kind of, he, so, so for those of you that don't know Beef Wellington, it's a tenderloin. You sear the tenderloin off, and uh, then you put, uh, you know, uh, cut up mushrooms uh, that have been sautéed in butter, and usually pâté de foie gras, although I see a lot of recipes skip it now. And then, uh, <coughs> excuse me, and then nowadays, I didn't do it when I, you know, in the 70s, they wrap a prosciutto around it to keep it into a package, wrap it in puff pastry, and then cook off the puff pastry. Um, Kenji uses, like, actual slices of foie gras. I think that kind of sounds like a pain in the behind to me. I, like, pate is easy to spread. Here's something that pate is, easy to buy, easy to spread, right? Uh, I don't need to sear anything off. Uh, so, I mean, I would stick with the, the pate. The other thing that he does is uh, 
he wraps uh, a phyllo uh, around the the beef log, beef log, uh, to um, absorb some of the liquid so the puff pastry doesn't get uh, soggy. That seems like an okay thing. My thing is this: look, uh, I looked at some of the people on the internet, and what they do is is they they buy the tenderloin and then they cut off the tip of the tenderloin so you have a pretty even cylinder, right? And the truth of the matter is that's not the way most of us buy it, right? We're buying the – like usually when I buy a tenderloin, I buy the whole thing and I've got the tail on it, right? And I don't know about you. I am cheap. So I am not going to like cut that off and grind it to I, – I, I don't know what I would do. it. I'm not going to cut it off. It's not going to happen. So what's un, not cool – I used to do back, you know, when I was a kid, when I, when I could afford it, fold that tip over and try to make a tube and you roll it. Yeah. The better way to do it is to cut it and then get meat glue, get, you know, go get moo glue on the, uh, you know, on the Amazon, like overnight delivery, which is transglutaminase, and glue it, to glue the tail back onto the slanting part so that you have an actual perfect log. All right? With me? Uh, now, uh, specifically, Kenji believes... Right, because we've had this argument. He believes that you can that there's a miracle whereby the the beef is going to be exactly perfect, you know, at the exact minute that the puff pastry is done, and that everything's going to be copacetic, and that the world is, and that there's going to be joy and laughter in the world. And I have found that stuff goes wrong more often than not. Uh, if you if you pull something like that as soon as the puff pastry is done, by the way, here's something. If you pull that thing when the puff pastry is done, when it comes out of a 450-degree oven, I'd slice it right quick. Here's why. Uh, it's going to keep cooking, right? And then you're hosed, right? So I think the protections he uses are anyone who's looking at it, if you look at it and they have a nice rosy center, the duct cells and all that is more of a protection against overcooking, right? Because it's just stuff that you have to cook through before you get to meat. The whole trick is to get the puff pastry cooked before the meat's overcooked. So I would make sure it has a good buffer all the way around it, right? Uh, then he hates pre-cooking, doing this. But I'm a huge believer in insurance. He salts his liberally before he sears it and, uh, and then rolls it. So if you're going to do that, the issue is, is that the pre-cook has to be below safe temperature, all right? You're not going to want to cook that tenderloin higher than about 52 Celsius, right? So you can cook a tenderloin up to about 45 minutes uh, or so at 54 degrees Celsius and have it be good. If you cook it for more than about an hour, it starts getting fibery. You know that fibery taste that I hate? Some people don't mind it. There is, there is literally a hundred kids walking through the lobby. Yeah, this is a lot of children. They're kind of cute, though. Hi, kids. The kid's like, no. Goodness, no, hello. a lot of children. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, so uh, if you salt it beforehand, right, you need to drop the temperature a couple of degrees because uh, th- that's the effect. Salt adds the firmness of a couple of degrees of temperature, especially when you're going to chill it down, roll it, and like have it chill as a chilled log before you cook it. So what I like to do is uh, cook it low. But just remember it's not being safe. So cook it at like 52 like sear the outside so that you kill the bacteria on the outside. Put in at uh, 52 for like no more than an hour, Le- like less even. Get the shape nice. Like meat glue it together, roll it into a log. 52, maybe 53, 52 for an hour. Pull it, chill it, put your duck cells, roll it, you know, make your package, roll it, chill it. Then wrap the puff pastry around, pull it out of the, uh, pull it out of the fridge, 
like an hour or so before you're going to cook it. Let it warm up a little bit to give the, the thing a, a jump. And then throw it in the oven on rip. And then just as soon as the puff pastry is done, pull it, and you should be okay. But now you don't have to worry, did I get the, did the inside make it up to 120? Who cares? That's what sous vide for insurance is, people. It's insurance. And having ruined so many food items in my life, anytime that I can be like, I don't care, I'm insured. I'm like, yeah, do that. You know what I mean? And then just get that puff pastry cooked as quickly as possible. You with me, John? Yeah. I would also recommend looking up uh, Calum Franklin. He was a chef in the UK who is very, very, very well known for his uh, beef wellingtons. Is he dead? No, he's alive. Oh. And he's got a cookbook out there, so I'm he sure he's got some was. more recipes. Well, he's no longer at the pie room. He's moved on to yeah. somewhere else that I don't know. Yeah, well, yeah. If he's at the very pie famous. room, he knows pies. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's supposed to be great. Yeah, so I'd recommend that. Don't worry, Stas. I'm not getting on the pie train. I don't believe there's any pie questions. Don't have to worry about it. Uh, great. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Dave Kleiman writes in, so uh, Jeremy Umansky, we had on the show when, uh, when uh, he and Rich came Rich out with the uh, Koji book. Not Koji. Uh, wait, not Koji your dog. Koji. No, yep. The book Koji Alchemy. Yeah. yeah. Did you name your dog after the book came out? I don't know. When did their book come out? I don't know. I, I got Koji know. like two years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their Old book came out first. Because okay, we had them on the show when we were still with uh, Voldemort. Oh, that's right. Yeah. All right. Uh, Jeremy Omansky from Larder, who, uh, John, John, you've been there. You like that place. I stodged there for a week, yeah. I never, I've never been there. Right. It's a super tasty place. If I go to Cleveland, I would always, will always go. Yeah, it's great. Dax is uh, applying to a school in Cleveland. Oh. I, haven't, I haven't been to Cleveland since I was in my 20s. Yeah. It's I did a, a really – it was a good city. I did an art install at the Progressive. The Progressive owns a huge art collection. They have one of the largest private art collections anywhere, and it's all throughout all the Progressive buildings. And every – I don't know. They used to do it every year or so. They would hire a, like you know, a big current artist to do a large-scale – presentation yeah. like one of their you know large-scale installation one of their and i had to uh help my uh my art professor at the time you know what i hate doing sanding metal man yeah uh, i freaking hate it like just like even with masks like you caught you you're coughing up black and silvery phlegm and like so even when i pass it on the street the smell of grinding wheels my wife's like, I don't mind it. I'm like, mm, yeah, because you didn't have to work on a metal shop. <laughs> like, like, like ferrous oxide? Like, what are you Well, doing? it's like, uh, so like, you know how like when you scrub stainless, you smell it, there's that metal oh, smell. Oh, God, right? I can't stand that smell. Right. So imagine that plus the abrasive grit and burning from the discs. You're just, you're just putting all of these like yeah, aluminum oxide discs, you're grinding them down. And the black dust and the and the stuff is just filling the air. It's, it's also loud as hell. So it's like, it's like constant punishing, loud plus like this like like this. It's a very distinct smell. Metal shop smell is a very distinct smell. I don't mind the welding smell actually. I like the arc smell, but like the grinding smell, no, nah, no, nah, no thanks. We have similar tastes. I used to work. My father was an auto mechanic, and I grew up my whole life working with him. So I do remember very particular sm- smells of metal and like, chemicals. But the smell of brake pads being um, not brake pads, not the calipers, the actual discs being uh, recut is by far one of the terrible smells of the world. Which is so f- well, funny because you love the brake fluid. Love the brake fluid. <laughs> 
love the brake fluid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe's like, I'm a cognoscenti of the different brake products, aroma, and uh, the brake fluid, choice. Good wrench, the best. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right, so back to Umansky, right? So we're talking about Umansky's uh, latkes. Now, Umansky does a non-standard... Latka. I've never. Were you, were you there during the season? Were you making latkes there? Or yes, no, actually, yeah. 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 Was he using this new technique while you were there? Uh, what's the technique? So, for whatever reason, whether it's historical or not, he's like, I don't want to use a lot of binders. I don't want to do a lot. Of, I want potato. You know, basically yeah. potato only. So he par bakes them, right? Yes, he did. First of all, let me say this, people. Yeah, Everyone says things about russets. Yes, it's the correct one to use, but the logic people use about what starch does is bent. It, the, the, everyone is right. Use russets. And yes, they are higher in starch. What they are is actually lower in water, right? They have a higher specific gravity, right? Uh, that's the dill-dilly, right? Uh, and you, there's a lot more water in the cells of a, uh, of a lower gravity potato. So it's not that they're russets. Right, it's a, you need a high gravity potato. Low gravity potato, no matter how you squeeze it, is going to have more water in it. It's going to absorb more oil when it fries. Right. So, they, but anyway, I, neither here nor there. But so every time I read an explanation of why do you rust potatoes, I'm like, it's kind of right, but ugh, why does it always have to be wrong? Yeah. Right. Starch doesn't make latkes go brown. Sugar makes latkes go brown. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like there are sugars in most of the potatoes that we have because of the way they're stored, which is one reason why if you're going to make potato chips or if you're going to make latkes and you're worried that they're going to go too brown, you uh, soak them. That gets rid of the sugar. Then you squeeze. Some people don't soak, whatever, or with potato chips. And, and then you squeeze the hell out of them to get the extra water out. The reason if you do soak, right, two things, keeping the enzymes from, you know, ruining the potatoes, turning them all garbagey, like, you know, I think it also has a taste, that weird brown, purple, red grossness that potatoes get, you know, yeah. but uh, there's that, because it won't happen underwater, and there's also leaching out sugars, right? Starch on its own doesn't burn, because if it did, then the potatoes, which are made of starch, would burn. It is sugar that burns, all right. Anyway, so uh, all right. Wait, we got a caller. Should I finish the Should I finish the Umansky thing, or take the caller and then go back to Umansky? He par cooks the potatoes. He All does. Right. Yeah. He par cooks the potatoes about thirty minutes, roasts them, then grates them when they're par cooked. Right. I'm gonna let that sink in. Why he does that, and I'll give you a hint. It's because he's pre-gelatinizing some of the starch, so the starch has already soaked up some of the water that, that's in it. It's, it's equ- In other words, he doesn't use a binder because cooking the potato makes the potato into its own binder. Okay, so now uh, let's uh, take the caller. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, how's it going, guys? Doing all right? What's up? Good stuff. Um, definitely have a little bit of a uh, moisture management issue. Certainly Ooh. not holiday-related. Um, in the process of actually trying to formulate a, uh, a pet chew, it's a... Blend of, uh, I've been using oat flour, egg whites, pork fat, peanut butter powder, and beef broth. And, um, you know, right now, the only mold that I have to cook them in are a fairly thick silicone mold. Um, my business partner is a silicone mold manufacturer. Uh-huh. And the issue I'm having is that, you know, I'm baking them at 350 for 15 minutes, rotating another 15 minutes, and they, I, 
just can't seem to get the moisture out utilizing the silicone molds and the nature of the cook that I have right now. Um, I get better results when I go to a coarser oat uh, particle size, like an oat bran versus an oat flour. Um, And actually, I'm actually uh, aligning with a manufacturer that's going to be able to bake these off in vacuum ovens, getting to an average of 12 inches mercury or 300 torr. So you're Uh, you're trying to get it as hard as kibble? A crunchy chew, yeah. Dogs enjoy a a nice crunch. Yeah. Um, Hmm. I mean, like, I mean, the perfect, the, the, how do the big, companies because i would only know how to do it once everything starts dry and then goes in almost to like uh like an extruder and then comes out of the extruder relatively dry uh and then just needs to be like like hacked up when it's like a dough and then you know it can basically go on a conveyor belt oven and be dehydrated rather than cooked right um right and then, you know, once it dehydrates so to a certain level, not, you can cook it. We're not quite at that you know? scale yet. Right. But I'm wondering, right. like, like uh, can your dough be piped? It can. Yeah. I mean, I'm wondering whether or not, like, you might – I mean, I know your partner is a silicone mold manufacturer, right? But I don't know anyone that commercially would mold it, right? I wonder whether or not um, – Right. I wonder and whether there's or not... a reason why we do have to mold it. Why there is a you know a strategy behind the creation of the the shape is essentially a paw, and we have a a cavity in the palm uh-huh. of the paw that a gelatin filling actually goes in as a delivery mechanism for CBD, and it's uh-huh. a um, it's a fairly you know dynamic product that we're you know working on. But essentially, you know, we need to have this shape for that cavity almost to make like a Linzer tart for for dogs in, in a sense. <laughs> But, you know, having this cavity shape is going to be, you know, crucial for the design of this product. And this, for now, at least, until we can get stamped metal mold, uh, you know, kind of yeah. like muffin tin, so yeah. to speak, that we can cook into, it's going to conduct better. I need to figure out a solution with what we have right now. And I was wondering if you could. But this is more reasonable anyway, because it's not a, a direction. It's, it's not a food. It's a snack. So, you know, like, a person's not buying a 20-pound sack. They're buying, like, a four-ounce bag. So you don't need to worry about. I was right. thinking you're sitting there and, like, you're, like, you know, have, you know, five sheet trays. Here's your breakfast, Poochie. You know what I mean? So it's, like, you're not doing that. Like, you're doing more, <laughs> no, like, no, cooking. No. All right. I mean, I don't know. I might try, like like I was talking earlier in the show, like a cookie gun. Uh, but if you want to do a mold and you haven't had any luck just, like, uh, letting it dry out for a while, right? And then demolding it and finishing uh, the cook. Only if I unmold. I've done a 15-minute cook, right. unmold pseudo-successfully, you know, continue the cook for another, like, 30 minutes, and then that desiccates it completely and gets to the, the crispiness that I'm looking for. Uh, here's what I would do. But, try, know, this, I'm, I'm, try this. Try this. Try this. Try this. Try this. Mold them. Strike off the molds. Mold them. Freeze them. Pop them out frozen onto a dehydrate tray and then just dehydrate them gently. Mm. Have you tried freezing them? That would... I haven't. It's just I don't know if I'm going to have the capacity, freezer capacity at production to be doing that. Um... Have you ever cooked with vacuum ovens before? Uh, I have tried to modify unsuccessfully an oven. I've also tried to do <laughs> microwave vacuum dehydration, and you have to be real careful when you do that because uh, uh, you get 
intense plasma arcs, which like are awesome, but they ruin all the food that's inside of your uh, inside of your <laughs> oven. I mean, like like crazy, right. like you know. Like, uh, you know, all bow to Zod, like electricity and freaking the emperor kind of like stuff. But it's like, yeah, uh, I've never owned a vacuum yeah. oven, but um, they're probably good. You can lower the, the, the temperature. I think, look, you, you want to lower the temperature and have it go in a reasonable amount of time. I'd say you got to demold mm-hmm. those suckers somehow. Like, uh, you know, it, 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 in production, I know it's more expensive, but you could do a par, a quick par freeze with LN. We'll pop them out in, uh, and the silicone won't get killed. Mm. You could pop them out in, yeah. in like under a minute. You know what I mean? You could just like par freeze them. You could pop them out under a minute, and they also won't be frozen in the middle, so you won't have to wait all that time to, to get them to thaw before they start dehydrating. But I, you know, I think it's not going to have a lot of luck inside of the molds cooking it because the the grease is going to render out and it's not going to stay where it is and it's going to get weird floaties and like all this kind of uh, my guess is that's what's going to happen and that uh you know there's always going to be kind of issues and this way you won't need as many molds you just throw them on sheet trays and they could probably just dehydrate you know in plain air for a while until until you have oven times you know what i mean um mm-hmm. yeah yeah so man, try some ln just get a little well, ln try it up i'm going to be running yeah, yeah, I'm going to be running trials with the vacuum ovens here in the next couple of weeks, so I'll keep guys. Yeah, if you have a vacuum oven, I've never, I've never really used one, but they are, they are great for reducing the temperature at which liquid boils. So you know, like dehydrating apple mm-hmm. chips and things that brown, it's great. So maybe you know, maybe you'll have some luck. Let us know. So shoot me a tweet at oh, Cooking Issues, or we'll you know, if, if you still Twitter or Instagram. Anyway, Twitter now is all people talking about how much they hate Twitter. No one ever actually gives real information on Twitter yeah. anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like I, I don't care. Either quit. <laughs> Or ask me a question about cooking. I don't, you know, I, I don't need to know about the mechanism of how we're communicating at this point. Anyway, maybe I do. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, All right. All right. Well, good luck. Cool. And let us know how it works out. All right. Back to latkes. So <clears throat> moisture management on latkes, right? So the classic latke recipe, you grate the, the potatoes. You squeeze the, hell out of, you squeeze the hell out of the potatoes to get the liquid out of it, right? Because if that liquid, you need to get the liquid out quickly. Right. But then conversely, you add liquid back in the form of batter, which just goes to show, right, that the question of liquid is liquid itself is not your enemy. Bound liquid inside of the potato that doesn't immediately leave is your enemy. Liquid in the binding is kind of okay because otherwise eggs wouldn't work. Right. Right. So uh, that stuff, though, can bubble out and kind of uh, leave quickly. So what was the question that Dave had about this? My question is. Uh, can we be a little more scientific about the recipe? What's happening? Uh, what's actually the ideal temperature to bring the potatoes to to properly denature whatever enzymes are causing them to oxidize or to maximize stickiness? I prefer to use an internal thermometer and bring the potatoes to a specific temperature so I don't have to worry so much about things like size, initial temperature, and so forth. That way I could even use a water bath to par-cook them. I'd love to hear uh, you elaborate on the subject. Um, I wouldn't use a water bath. Like The whole point of kind of baking them is you're flashing off some of the liquid, right? Also... The issue is, is that kind of like, and someone asked later, I don't know if we're going to get to it, but they ask about a nixtamalization question and someone's going to ask about a uh, milk bread uh, question. And you're not trying to cook the potato all the way through. If you cook the potato all the way through, right, then it's going to be mush when you, when you grate it. You're trying to, to, to par cook it. So you're trying to get, um, you know, the starch granules to start to swell, to st- start to, uh, you know, um, 
paste to start to gelatinize, but not to go all the way. So it's kind of very hard, actually, to uh, judge that based on a thermometer because as soon as the center gets up to a particular temperature, you don't know what the outer stuff is up to. So it's actually kind of complicated to come up with a bulletproof number. It's easier. And when you're a professional, like Jeremy is, uh, you know, you're ordering a potato size that's relatively uniform, right? You get you order a particular size of potato. If you're going into, you know, a supermarket, I typically buy sack potatoes, like five pound sacks of potatoes. But even those are, are not uniform at all. And if you get what's called – don't get a baking potato. That's going to be a nightmare. They're too big. You know what I mean? Like quote-unquote baking potato. So I have to say I don't think there's going to be a way to easily scientify this. Basically what he's doing with this technique – and it's kind of just because he wants to do it, right? Because you know what binds latkes well? Matzo meal. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like matzo meal binds because you know why? Because it's pre-cooked. It's pre-gelatinized starch. It's already absorbing liquid. Like as we speak, you stick it in liquid, it's absorbing liquid. Unco- oh my, what the heck is this? Oh, they come by every time so far, the candy cane army, I guess. This is That's aggressive. Are they going to hit me with this candy cane? I don't know. They are like seven feet tall candy canes and everyone's wearing all white and candy cane themed spells. I just and panned scarves. to the video so everyone saw that. Right, so yeah. Okay. I don't know how I, I don't know how I feel about that. I mean it they they they, they I guess they're festive. But I feel I mean, yeah, it's gotta be some like NBC promotional stuff. No, maybe? so Stas hates that now. Yeah, yeah. Hey Stas, couldn't afford an ice machine, but they can afford seven foot candy canes. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Uh so, so the, you know, the point is, is that is gelatinized starch already holds onto its water and it's there to help act as an aid when, when you're binding. Right? Right. Right? Right. All right. Was that a good enough answer? I don't know. I don't even know what I said anymore. Yeah. I mean, lockers are just kind of the vehicle for whatever you're really kind of serving it with. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, my, first of all, my family, we're Jews, so we, we eat lockers all the time, even when it's not Hanukkah. So it's all about the, the applesauce you're making. Or the amazing caviar that we just had the other day with it. Or the, oh, you know, oh, that's so fancy, man. Caviar. Yeah, yeah. My, wife's, okay. my, my wife's fancy. <laughs> yeah. My wife is fancy salmon roux caviar, yeah. creme fraiche. You know. Ah, creme fraiche. You know what? I love creme fraiche as a topping. I don't like cooking with it because its texture goes from all the way to none of the way. Like you, yeah. you know what I mean? And then you have to let it reset. Piss me off. You know what I mean? Oh, it tastes delicious, it. though. Tastes delicious. Anyway, uh, what size latke do you like, Joe? We like them about, I'm going to guesstimate and say they're about four to five inch in diameter. So you don't like giant ones that no, are... No, don't like giant ones. And we like ours with leek. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And uh, how do you, do you just, like, mince or you grate them like you would an onion? Grate them with, like, the same way we do an onion. Yeah, so some people are mm-hmm. like, don't, some people... Okay, on uh, what's it on serious eats? I forget who wrote who wrote the the thing on it, but they're like, you shouldn't grate the onion; you should leave it in pieces. I disagree, man. It's a different flavor, different flavor. And you, by the way, hey, you can grate the onion, and then you can get rid of some of the moisture in the onion at the same time. Exactly. Oh, hello, hello, people. Anyone there? Anyway. I lost. I lost I, I've lost a few uh, fingernails during those times. Yeah. Yeah. You got to get you a salad master. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know what? The, honestly, though, like I no longer enjoy motorized grating. 
I really don't. Because, like, in a restaurant, yeah. Like a Roboku, yeah. Y- yeah. You know what I mean? I or, e- or even like a, but it's like, it's just like the amount of cleaning with a, and then like the, you know what I don't like? I don't like looking at that disc that gets caught between the grating disc and the top of the food processor that keeps spinning and then the stuff goop. I just don't like it. And you know what? The, the hand grater's like, I don't box grate because come on. Box grating sucks. It does. I, I, I do it sometimes. I do box grate butter for uh, biscuits. Yeah. That is the money. Yeah. Box grating frozen butter for biscuits is a money. That is like, I was like, this is some bull crap. This is garbage. Nobody needs to do this. And then I started doing it. I was like, and everyone's like, oh, these are the best biscuits you ever made. I'm like, damn it. God damn. <laughs> You know what I mean? Oh, here's another thing. I learned a Romanian phrase. I can't say that because the real one contains the, the translation for sugar, honey, iced tea, right? So I'll say it in a family-friendly way. You can't make a whip with poop. So if someone's like, if someone's like brings something and it's like not good enough for the task, can't make a whip with poop, but you're supposed to say the sugar, honey, iced tea word. I was like, that's a nice phrase. It's a nice Romanian phrase. Yeah. yeah. Good for the holidays. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Romanian has, like, some sick, like, really good, like, just vivid phrases. I need to get more of them. I need to get more Romanian phrases. Uh, my wife's partner's Romanian. Oh, like, from gotcha. Romania. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Uh, all right. So, Patrick writes in, I'm making a linguine with clam sauce on the Christmas Eve. What are your thoughts on linguine and clam sauce, people? Pro? Approved, yeah. Pro? Stas, linguine, like, hate. As a shape, would you ever go linguine, or is it is too halfway for you? What What are your thoughts on linguine? We'll never know. She's so speechless. All right, uh, and want to make it taste like a fresh clam pie from Frank Peppy's? That's not going to happen. Where do you live, Patrick? Can you get belly clams? Peppy's is belly clam, right? Yeah. Sally's doesn't do belly clams, but Peppy's does belly clams. Yeah. And it's very sparse, right? Yep. And, well, here comes the point, right? And I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking I need to add breadcrumbs. I always add breadcrumbs to my, to, my, uh, to my seafood pastas. Like every Christmas Eve, we do the anchovy, well, when I'm with my mom, we do the anchovy pasta with the breadcrumbs. Love it. Uh, yeah. I'll need to add breadcrumbs. Any thoughts on how to have that charburnt New Haven pizza taste in the crumbs without overdoing it? Without overdoing it. Without overdoing it. Without overdoing it. I mean, you could... I have some thoughts. Oh, yeah? I think you could over-toast the bread, then dehy the bread, then make your own breadcrumbs. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think their concern is taking already made breadcrumbs and then, like, overdoing it. But what I did is I, one time, just baked pizza dough until it was charred. And then made breadcrumbs. <laughs> yeah? How was it? Uh, TBD. It's in the freezer. Uh, We're going to do pizza crust meatballs. <laughs> don't you think it'll get lost inside of the meatball? Well, I guess we'll find out. Yeah, all right. People still use meatballs and insult when they're talking about people? No, I don't think so. Meatball. I don't think so. Meatball. Yeah. Anyway. It used to be a thing. So, uh, also, like, how about this? Instead of linguine, what about, like, fregola, which is already baked? You know what I mean? 
or you could go uh, you could do a uh, uh, drill Gargano style and use the the the, the burnt grains, the grano arso. Yeah. Right? What kind of does he what, what pasta does he make with that? He doesn't do like a what is, what does he use for that anyway? What does he use that in? You know, John? Pasta integrale, I think, is what he calls it. Um, but he uses the burnt stuff, or it's just parched. It's not burnt. It doesn't taste like. It's not yeah, like, I don't know. It doesn't taste. It's not like fregola with that hard, no, hard no, toast yeah, taste. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's, the problem is fregola is not going to hit the linguine spot because it's like little balls. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I like fregola. Though. I do too. Very good. Fregola. Oh, also, uh, any guidance on my favorite salt cod to buy at Coluccio and Sons? All right, listen, it depends on how much salt cod you want, my man. Like, you got to go look at it. Like, I'm not going to say you can only get the one from the you know, gas pay. I'm saying go look at their salt cod selection, and what's going to happen is you're going to be like, I want to buy the whole half. I want to buy the whole half of the fish. I want to buy it. I'm going to get the whole fish. And then, I th- in fact, I think it's not even half. I think I bought a whole fish. just like split and opened up. And like, I'm going to buy the whole thing. I don't care. Someone's like, we don't, we're not going to eat that much bacala. We don't, we don't have a big enough freezer. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. I'm buying it. And that's what I did. And so then, you know, you, you take the big fat section and you make the bacala, the Christmas Eve style bacala, and then just boatloads of brandad, which is like, you're a brandad guy, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I could eat infinity of that. And then, like, also, like, bacalaitos. And then also, like, uh, I love the, the, the four things I make. I very rarely, other than, you know, if I'm someone's asking me to cook on Christmas Eve, do I make, like, old school, like, the bacala where you cut it? You know what I mean? Very rarely. Mainly, I do, uh, like, uh, salt salt fish with, like, mashed uh, either potatoes or, or actual yams, like name, mm-hmm. with, like, uh, with like uh, you know, you saute onions and, like, a boatload of uh, sweet peppers, and then you mash in, like, eight tons of butter. And then you, uh, with some garlic, and then you, um, you uh, take, you know, yams, like nami, white, you know, white actual yams, not sweet potatoes, yams. And then you, starchy ones. And then you boil them, you mash them, you mix it in with butter, and then hacked up, uh, like shredded, hacked up uh, salt cod. Or it's not cod anymore, you know, yeah, most yeah, only yeah. it's, you know, whatever it is. And uh, that is delicious. That is delicious, and then I always, you know, I serve it with, like, you know, I basically, anytime I make stuff like that, I just serve whatever you would serve at a Tex-Mex place. <laughs> so it's like shred, <laughs> shredded lettuce, avocados, uh, you know, lime, uh, and it's good. The other thing I make, I like salt cod fritters, and I love uh, making, a, a, like, a brandad style, like, uh, but I don't add a lot of a potato to that stuff. I mainly, it's just whipped, whipped Salt cod and, and olive oil. Yeah. I don't I'm not a walnut olive oil. Yeah. And yeah. then uh yeah. Good. On bread? Some toasty bread. Yes. Toasty bread and some brown dye, my yeah, man. Delicious. Classic. Yeah. Can't go upon that de mourir. Yeah. Yeah. Delicious. Delicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh did I answer that question? I think so. Anyway. Uh from BS. Oh my god, it's printed on two sides of the paper. I got more to go than I thought. What is everybody's holiday uh, favorite holiday be- uh, beverage? And any tips or hacks that are unknown? T- uh, temping, um, temping glassware. What does that mean? Temping glassware. And getting it cold, mm. maybe. Mm. I don't know. Have liquid nitrogen or have a lot of fridge space. Uh, I've made cold buttered rum from Liquid Intelligence. Delicious, but the, cu- the customer reception was mi- mixed. I found that people don't like to think that they're drinking butter. If you don't tell them, they won't know. Uh, but uh, yeah. Yeah, 
Uh, I like, um, I don't, I actually don't really like most of the Christmassy beverages. You know? You guys? I can't really think of, I don't know, beer, wine. No, I beer, don't. Champagne. Beer, wine. I drink, yeah. That's, John's like, John's like, when I think of Christmas, I think of beer. Yeah. 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 All right. Jack, you, you too, same. You know what I like? Um, I like, uh. I like a little bit of, uh, like, hot spice wine, like mulled wine, like Glug, like Swedish style. Well, that's what I was exactly what I was thinking, mulled wine. I mean, yeah. it's always good. It's fun to make. Yeah, yeah. It smells great in the house. Yeah, and you have a little bit of it, and then you move on to wine. Yeah. Yeah, but, like, no way of, no, no eggnog. No, no, not an eggnog. A lot of people love eggnog. I know. It goes ma- right through me. My man, ooh. Get your motor running, head on the highway. Looking for adventure, whatever comes your way. Yeah, I don't have a fart sound for that one. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, although you know, look, at this point, it's too late for eggnog anyway because you should have you should have made it like you know a couple weeks ago. Yeah. N- you know, make it now if you like eggnog. Make it now and then age it for a year the way that Nick Bennett does. He ages it for one year, two years, three years. He always saves a little bit and then like he'll do all, all these tastings. Uh, I'm just not an eggnog guy. So like the vintage is like. Is, goes well with the lactose? Uh, well, it's just, it doesn't go quote-unquote bad, right? So if you can't have the lactose, then it, aging it's not going to help you any. You could No, of course, I'm just wondering. Right, you could toss the enzyme in. You ever do that? No, I never have. Yeah. I, you know, I did this thing with the beans for Serious Eats recently. It's out. You can look it up. Where I tested uh, putting the enzyme into the beans to knock out the toots. So I bet you you could do the same thing with the lactate. I bet you you could make your own lactose-free. Oh, interesting. I never thought about that. We can run the test next year. Next year, yeah. There we next go. Next year, yeah. Uh, Prashant writes in, I've been trying to make a sourdough dinner roll for a while, and I've been following the recipe on the perfect loaf uh, forward slash super soft sourdough rolls. I've tried this recipe at least four times, and each time the dinner rolls go hard after they cool down, but they get soft again after being warmed up. Do you have any suggestions for making them soft full stop? Uh, I would like to, to use them to make uh, pav bhaji, which I think is that is that's that like uh, vegetable curry served with soft rolls, right? Right? Not sure. I didn't get a chance to look at the YouTube. I think that's what it is. Uh, so I looked at the I looked at the sourdough roll recipe uh, that you have, and so it is a. Uh, you know, one of these uh, milk bread things where you heat a certain amount of the uh, of flour with the milk to prehydrate it, right? And then add that to your dough. And the whole point of doing that, uh, using prehydrated, uh, and it's been used, you know, in different cultures, in different ways for centuries, right? So you have like, you know, Portuguese broa, which uses prehydrated cornmeal. You have uh, a lot of... Uh, gluten-free breads or cassava things made with prehydrated. So the idea of prehydrating, pre-cooking some of the starch is that now that starch can hold on to water while the dough is not yet cooked, right? And so that lets you have a higher hydration dough than you could otherwise have and still have it hold its shape as it's being formed, as it's rising, as it's baking. That's the theory of it. And then in the end, right, you're going to have a higher hydration bread. So it's like it's going to stay soft, longer, it's going to be moister, physically moister than it would be if it was a lower hydration bread. So that's the, that's the why they do it, right? I don't know why your particular one is going uh, hard, 
right? Um, it's got, um, let's see, you're using a, an all-purpose flour and a bread flour. I don't know why it needs a bread flour. It has some sugar in it. It has a relatively small amount of butter, and it uses water. I, I would say if you want it to be more tender, change the water to milk and substitute some of that with egg. Basically, what I'm saying is turn it into a brioche. <laughs> Basically, what I'm telling you is turn this into a brioche. Uh, you can do all the same things that you did, but just make it like a brioche, and it's not going to go soft. You can even still do the milk thing. Is hard. that a correct? Is that a good answer? Yeah, it yeah. will go soft. It won't go hard. That's what I meant. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. KG wants to know. I have belated cookie question. We don't have any Alabama cookies. KG. Next time we get Matt Startwell on, or anyone who can hear me who's from Alabama, let me know what the good cookies are. Vince. Uh, Vince writes in. What's the pepper mill that Dave uh, recommends? It was fairly expensive, but I can't find what it was. Uh, was it the coffee grinder turned pepper mill? Yeah, I get the Java press. It used to be a lot cheaper, and I three D print the parts. But it's a killer pepper mill for like thirty bucks. And it grates the hell out of pepper, uh, and it's not like aggro. Some of the pepper grinders they have out there are like aggro marketing, which I don't understand. Nicholas Webster, uh, is there a foolproof fondue fondue technique for larger quantities, a.k.a. two two kilos of cheese? I'm still mortified from splitting a big one last winter for my family. That sucks. Uh, Would the best insurance be to bag it at low temperature and low temperature everything together and then blitz it, or is the stove fine with enough citrate and cornstarch? Yeah, stove is fine, citrate, cornstarch, white wine. Don't forget the white wine, a little bit of acidity to get it in the correct pH. And, you know, use the right cheeses. Uh, Christian Sacco, can I use crystallized honey to make mead without adding yeast? I have three kilograms bucket of solid honey. Or is it better to melt the honey to a liquid state and just add appropriate yeast? Uh, the honey will melt down at like 94 to 100, so below the temperature that's going to kill the wild yeast. So you can melt it or you can just wait for the rest of your natural lifetime for it to dissolve in the water. I think either way you're going to be okay. Uh, Saul Martinez, question. I found the mega post from the archives on nixtamalization and it briefly mentions how to rescue overcooked nixtamal by cooling it rubbing off the skin, rinsing it, and boiling it in uh, in water or tequesquite to make pozole. Can you give details on how long to boil it? I'm not an expert, but I'm going to have uh, John or Quinn reach out to uh, Jorge Gavriera to ask uh, whether they have any good uh, ideas. And then uh, let's see if I can get one more. Xander. Along with my friends and family, I become obsessed with Williams Sonoma hot fudge sauce. Uh, it's great on many things like pound cake, but most importantly, Haagen Dazs vanilla ice cream. So you weren't able to find it. You found a recipe, but it wasn't good. And you want to know how to reverse engineer it, right? Uh, I'll tell you what, Xander, hit me up on Twitter, and I'll answer this for the for the Christmas time. I don't have time, unfortunately, right now to go into the exact way I would break this down. But hit me up on Twitter, and I'll try to get it to you. Uh, happy, happy Hanukkah, happy holidays, happy New Year, uh, Merry Christmas if you celebrate, and cooking issues. <laughs>